Ephesians chapter 1. We took, we're on a series on the kingdom of God. And uh, last week talked about uh, the difference between uh, a democracy, a democracy, what a democracy is like, and uh, what a kingdom's like. And what it is, we, of course, we are part of, and our citizenship is in the kingdom of God, but we have to live in a democracy. Interesting thing is that uh, there's nowhere in the Bible where anyone's instructed to overthrow the government. So throughout the Bible, no matter what the government was, never did the people of God arise to overthrow it. What they did was showed the superiority of the kingdom of God within it. And eventually, of course, kingdoms came, kingdoms fell, and uh, we're in a democracy here. There are other countries in communism, various kind of things. But one thing is universal, the kingdom of God is superior to every other form of government. And eventually, as we saw in the Bible, all forms of government will yield to the kingdom of God. It's a wonderful thing to be part of it, isn't it, eh? But we're going to learn about it. Now, I'll just pick up this verse here and just start here today. And uh, we're going to just start to look towards uh, and uh, get some thoughts on the kingdom mandate. The kingdom mandate. Mandate is a command, something we're instructed to do. It has to do with our purpose. And uh, just let's read a couple of verses here. And Paul is saying, uh, he's talking in verse uh, 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, he's praying for Christians, that God would give them something, the spirit of wisdom uh, and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened or opened up, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty or the working of his mighty power. Isn't that fantastic? Paul is praying that we would uh, receive from God wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to do life, knowing what to do with your life. Know how to live your life. Okay? He's also uh, asked that we were praying that we would get revelation. That's to be able to understand how life works, how to see life. So you need revelation to see life as God sees it. If we don't have revelation, we have an opinion. We're going to get on that just shortly. If you don't have revelation, you have an opinion. And your opinion uh, is just your opinion. We're going to touch on this a little bit later. But when God's word becomes clear to us and the Holy Spirit shows it to us, then we actually have revelation. We understand something we didn't understand before. So we need revelation, how to see life. See, uh, you will, in, your, in building your marriage, you will build your marriage pretty well according to the pattern you were raised with, with only a minor variations, unless you get revelation of something better. You just reproduce it. Uh, you'll raise children the way you were raised, unless you get revelation of a better way. You'll run your finances the way you saw finances were raised, unless you have revelation of a better way. So when we become born again and come into the kingdom of God, we have to have revelation continually about every area of life. If we don't get revelation about every area of life, how to see life, and then wisdom, how to do life or live life, we just continue when our Christian, we're in the kingdom of God, but we're operating our life the way we did before we got saved. And we have the same problems everyone else has. And uh, so, we, so Paul praying, we need revelation, we need wisdom, and we need understanding. That's insight to how it works, how life really works. Eh? And uh, why we need these things, you notice he tells us three reasons we need them. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. Now, he's praying for this. In other words, it's not something that comes naturally just by study. It's something the Holy Spirit has got to actually open our eyes to see. I need revelation. Okay? When I was a Catholic, I thought I was right, had strong opinions. 
then there came a point where I got revelation of my need to be saved. Before that, I thought I was. I had an opinion. I was completely wrong, sincere, but wrong. And then when I got revelation, I realized, actually, I'm in a desperate condition, and I really need Christ. I need to give my life to Christ. See, so revelation, when our eyes are open, positions us then to act wisely and make decisions that change our life and how it works. And God's got a purpose for it here. He says that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So there's a lot on that, but let me just say this and put it. God wants you to have your eyes opened to his purpose for your life. Why are you here in this world? What are you called to do? Second thing, it tells us that your eyes might be open to see the riches of his glory in the saints, his inheritance in the saints. So in other words, God want, wants you to understand what he gets out of this relationship with you, wants to understand that actually, uh, you know, the Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord. God is wanting you to see that what he gets out of this deal, he actually is looking for a family. He's looking to express his fatherhood because he's a father. So what he's looking for is a family. He's looking for people in his image and likeness who will represent him. Okay? So that's what he, he wants you to understand that and to see what it means, what he's going to get out of this. God actually wants to enjoy you. He's created you for his pleasure so he can enjoy you. So when you have a creative gift and begin to discover the creative gift, he delights in it because you're expressing his creativity. You know, there's nothing like, I mean, to, when Bryden came back the other day, and, and he was telling me about what he was telling. I just felt so proud of him. He brought great pleasure because I saw what we'd put into him now being reproduced. And that's what, and that's what God, God wants you to see. He gets something out of this deal. See? He's not a power freak or anything like that. What he gets out of it is a family. He's about family. And see, he, he wants a family who are like him. And uh, then it says, and finally, the great, exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. So he wants you to have a revelation of that there's no limits on your life. There's no limits on the life of a believer. Nothing is impossible to him who believes. In other words, he wants you to have a, live out of a revelation that whatever he's called you to do, he's going to delight in you doing it, and he'll help you do it. Isn't that fantastic? I mean, that'd be a message all in itself, eh? Isn't that fantastic? See, that, that God wants you to understand what he's called you to do with your life that'll give it eternal value, wants you to understand how he gains great pleasure out of you succeeding in that. And he wants you to understand how he is alongside you to empower you to be a winner in all of that. Isn't that fantastic? You see, religion will conform people, but this isn't what this is about. This is actually about us discovering our uniqueness, not copying the crowd, but being absolutely unique. <laughs> Don't you love it? That's fantastic. Okay, so, so we're going to look just, I want to just look again at design because everything springs off this issue of design. What something's designed to do is key to how it'll operate. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look, then we'll look at the mandates. Let's go back into Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 again. Genesis 1. And Genesis chapter 1, and uh, we just, I want you to have a look, first of all, God's design and creation. Now, you've got to remember, whenever you make something or create something, something of you is in it, it represents what you're like. And uh, so it, it tells us in Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, now, in the beginning, God created the heavens. Notice that's plural, heavens. More than one heaven. He created the heaven now, if you, and the earth. So if you've created something, you're the owner of it, you're a soul in charge. If you do what you like with it. So we have to understand God is the owner. You're breathing his air, walking his ground, using his resort. He's the owner. He owns the whole lot. Now, whether you 
in your opinion that's true or not is irrelevant because it's actually true. One day you'll have to let everything go. One day you'll return to him. He'll ask you what you did with what he lent you. Now, so that's a core issue, the issue of ownership. And uh, in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25, this king of Babylon, which was the greatest king in the whole world, had to get a lesson that God's in charge and he can give it to whoever he wants. So God, he didn't, the, the guy got so proud, God took it all off him and then later on he gave it back to him. So he can understand that the heaven rules over the earth and God gives it to whoever he wants. Right? So that's quite helpful for you to understand that, that God can give more to you than you have now but you have to position yourself and your lifestyle for that to receive it. Okay? All right then. So God can give. God can take it away. God can do whatever he wants. See, no one can restrain his hand was the lesson that the king learned. You read in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, and uh, uh, God can do what he wants, and who can tell him you can't do that? Yeah, when he flooded the earth, who could say you can't flood the earth? But he did say he wouldn't flood it again, so we don't have to worry overly about global warming sh- uh, sinking the earth. God's actually promised he won't let the earth be flooded again. He set the boundaries on it all. So, so, so we get a biblical perspective on it. So, okay, so if God has, has designed the earth, certainly the Bible tells us his imprint will be everywhere. And so in Romans 1, it tells us then in verse 20 that the unseen things of God are clearly understood by looking and observing creation. In other words, everywhere in creation is the hand and mark of God's design. And so you find one of the, you know, the number seven appears consistently in nature. Seven days for this, or multiples of seven in terms of animal reproductive cycles and so on. And so various numbers of God appear right through. So God's hand is all through creation. Principles of sowing and reaping are in creation. So everywhere you go, you see God's principles in creation. But God's, God's design is also in you. So now let's have a look at man, the design in man. Genesis 1.26. So God's now got something he's made, a physical world, and now what he needs is someone who will be an ambassador for him. So he looks around at all the animals, but none of the animals are suitable. Why are none of the animals suitable? Because they're not a spirit being. He needs someone, if it's going to represent him, got to be someone like him. So in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image and likeness. And so God created man his image and likeness. He made him a spirit being, living in a body capable of interacting with heaven in the spirit world, capable of actually functioning on the earth. So you're absolutely and completely unique in that design. You're creative, but you're a spiritual person. You can't become more spiritual. You're already a spirit person. You've got to learn how to work with your spirit. Once you get born again, the spirit of God within you, then you start to function the way God intended you to. Creativity flows from our spirit. Ideas flow from our spirit. Giftings flow from within. God's thoughts come to us from within our spirit. So we're designed to operate in the spirit. So don't say living the supernatural life is hard. Actually, it's normal. What is abnormal is not living that way. What's abnormal is when you don't connect with God and you don't function like you're intended to function. That's what's abnormal. And so God has, has created man like him. And he's put a DNA in us. He's put his own print in us. That's why no matter where you go, there'll always be people trying to reach out to find God. There's something about God and how he's designed nature that's printed in every one of us. In Luke 17, 21, it says, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, he was saying that to unsaved people. He was telling, telling them that the way the kingdom operates is so built into you that actually you can't violate it without consequences. 
So we look at that, so for example, a simple thing, uh, uh, just if you look at relationships, if you are loving, love, God is love, love is a principle of the kingdom, if you are loving and giving and generous, you know what, relationships really go well. But if you take the opposite of that, which is selfish and, and, and got hate in your life and you try to run your relationship, it just does not work. Uh, in the kingdom of heaven is a serving kingdom. So if you be- learn how to serve and learn how to meet the needs of people and how to help people, you find your in- influence increases. You become quite great. Your business becomes great because of service. Why? Because it works. If you have no customer service or you're not a servant, you just don't, don't help people, then you become isolated and you find that your business declines. In the kingdom of heaven, honor is a principle. What you honor, you attract. So when you honor people, you find things start to draw towards you. You dishonor them, they move away from you. So life actually is designed to operate according to the kingdom of God. However, when man fell, his mind got so shifted that we think different to the ways of the kingdom of God. So what we think works actually doesn't work. What we think is how life works, actually is totally against what the kingdom is. So in the kingdom, God says, if you want to be great, fantastic. We want you to be great. Greatness is in you. This is how it happens. You develop the lifestyle of being a servant. You learn to serve through your giftings, and greatness is in you. You'll emerge. You can't help it. But in the, in, in, in the, we just think, that no, that's crazy. And what we need to do is tread on people and work our way to the top and put ourselves forward. That'll get us ahead. So intuitively, the way we operate as an unsafe person, or even as a Christian initially, is we think that just to copy the way of the world. Now, you have to understand that because I'll share with you a little bit later that one of the things that affects us deeply is the culture we're in. And if we're going to actually be successful and fulfill our calling, we've got to recognize cultural pressure and take a different stand towards it. Not a religious stand but a, a different stand, a kingdom stand. You got the idea? So we're designed to work right now. We're designed to be an ambassador. Let me define an ambassador. I looked up in the dictionary. Here's an ambassador. An ambassador is a diplomatic official. How about that? They're a diplomatic official of the highest rank. So you are a diplomatic official of the highest rank. Uh, the world doesn't know that yet, but one day they may discover that. You've got to discover it. And you're sent, uh, uh, you're, you're sent by one sovereign state to another to act as its resident representative. Or in other words, uh, a diplomat, uh, sorry, a, a, an ambassador is a person who is sent from one country to another by the government of that country to live there, be a resident there, and to represent its lifestyle and, and values and its culture and to advance its interests. So the ambassador from the United States lives in a special house down in uh, Wellington, and he is there, he acts, and he's empowered by his government to make decisions and to speak and to act on behalf of the United States. His sole mission is to represent his country and to advance his country's interests. Now, he lives in our nation, therefore he's to a measure subject to the laws of our nation, but he actually comes from another nation. And that's exactly how we are. We are an ambassador. We are born again from above. Our citizenship, where we belong, our whole life is found in the realm of heaven. Therefore, we're called to speak and act on behalf of heaven and the earth. How can you do that if you don't even know how heaven works? How can you do that if we don't understand the value system and the lifestyle and and how things work in there? See, when, when the young man came to Jesus, for example, the rich young man, 
And we look at it, and it seems incredibly hard. But the rich man, young, come to Jesus, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, do the, uh, have you kept the commandments? He said, I've done this, this, and this. He said, you've got one thing you lack. He said, what's that? He said, we need to sell up your, what you have and give it all away. And he, and he went away very sad. Now, what you've got to understand, most people look at it and say, oh, God, to be a Christian, you've got to give up your money. Well, that's bad. And uh, but that's not that at all. Jesus saw that his life was gripped by the power of money. And what he wanted him to do was to learn that in the kingdom of, of the world, you have to collect and gather and you're under the power of money. But in the kingdom of God, you learn to sow and release money and actually you learn to receive returns. So he, didn't, he didn't want him to be a poor person. And he doesn't necessarily say to give away everything anyway. What he said to this man is, you've got an issue in your life and you think you're right and you haven't recognized the power this thing has to affect all your life, all your relationships. If you would just let the money go, which is managing every day, you think about your you're worried about all these things that control so much of your life and relationships. If you just let it go completely, what you'd get received, what you would receive would actually fulfill what you need in your life. And we understand that when you sow, you reap. So he's, he's not wanting him to become a poor person so he can serve God. He's wanting to be a free person to serve God. And you get the idea on that? A free person. If you're in bondage to money and debt and, and caught up with the whole thing, you're not a free person. All you do is think about it all the time. Where people were on the ship, they couldn't even, when we're doing our cruise, they couldn't even rest and have a holiday. The reason they couldn't rest and have a holiday, they've got to look up the internet and find out how their shares are doing all the time. They actually just worried all the time. I spoke to a multimillionaire. He's worried all the time, doesn't sleep at night. I think, have you got the money or has the money got you? Can you understand what Jesus is saying? Get the heart of it. He's saying in the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, you become a generous person and a giver and you have a free life. You're not in bondage to things. He didn't say give away everything. He wanted this man to face the issue in his life and position himself to be free and to prosper. So, so the kingdom of heaven, that's a great thing. So you're an ambassador. And, uh, of course, man is God's ambassador. Now, here's the thing. God only chooses family members to represent him. Huh? God only chooses family members to represent him. So you can't be an ambassador for God. You can call yourself that and call yourself anything you like. But you can't be unless you're born again and you've actually become a member of the family of God. So when, when uh, every one of us makes the decision to receive Christ, get born again, Spirit of God enters us and we're positioned as part of the family of God, name written in heaven, now to grow to the point we can represent him well in the earth and advance his interests. Hence, you need to be trained and discipled to grow so you understand the word of God, the ways of God, how to move with God. Why? So you can fulfill your call. You, he wants you as a son to represent him. He wants you as a son to take over the earthly business. And you'll find as we look in the scripture, the mandate at the beginning was global. And at the end, it's global. And at the very end, it actually succeeds. But God's intended always is that we be global people and everyone is an ambassador. Now, I've used the word ambassador because if I said evangelist, you'd all just shrink. It's point to Danny or someone else. Hey? If I used the word missionary, you'd also point to Graham and Jess or someone else or Bryden and say, oh, it's not my thing. But actually, it's everyone's thing because that's why you're here. We're an ambassador, part of God's royal family, here to advance his interests in the earth. We've got to learn how to do it. It's the learning how to do it is the important thing. How can I live the life and be victorious over my issues and actually influence and affect and impact the people around me? 
And I said, I won't touch it today, but I'll do it perhaps next week, uh, the week after next, how religion always has exactly the opposite impact. It causes people to withdraw, isolate, and just shut down, rather than actually having a kingdom mindset of advancement. It's totally different. So Jesus never came to give us religion. He came to restore to us a kingdom we'd lost and to get things back on track again. So let's have a look at the original mandate down in verse 28. So God created man, verse 27, in his image and likeness he created. And then he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. Not to dominate people, not to rule over people, but to actually rule over creation, make it productive. Now, notice what it says here. It says he blessed them. He blessed them. That word bless means literally to speak or proclaim success over someone. So when Adam was uh, launched, the first thing God did was create him. Then he actually gave him a mandate, a purpose, and the first part of that was to bless him, to speak over his life something he was called to be successful at, and that was being fruitful, multiplying, filling the whole earth, subduing. That means there's something to bring under. There's something going to resist and to have dominion. That means there's an order to be established. Now get the picture. This is a global thing. Fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. God is not into little things. If you've got little things in your mind and have little mentality, you're not connected to God's perspective on things. God is big. He thinks in terms of the world. He thinks in terms of nations. That's why, as we'll look in a moment, the, the, the mandate to the church is nations. Disciple whole nations. Whole nations. Whole thousands upon thousands of people. He wants them impacted. Because this is how he's, this is the original mandate. It's the earth. Why is it the earth? Because he owns it. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything inside it. So he owns it all. He wants it filled. What does he want it filled with? He wants it filled with his kingdom. He wants it filled with the nature of his kingdom, the values, the culture of his kingdom. Love and serving, humility, faith, a whole range of things. He's wanting the world filled with those things. And when you complain about what's going on in our community, you're complaining really about the absence of the kingdom of God. Now, that's a strange thing that we should be complaining about the absence of the kingdom of God when we're the ones called to advance it. So we shouldn't be complainers. We should be motivated by the lacks and needs around us to actually do something because we're the ones called to do it. And I'll share with you later, I'll share with a session on the authority that's given to us. And you'll find there's about 10 areas God has actually given us authority to speak and act, to actually make things happen. And when we know what to do and how to do it, then actually power comes and things happen. That's right. You don't have to be old to cast out demons. You've got to know what to do and, and position yourself so you can do it. And then heaven comes into the earth. Oh, that's not my thing. Well, okay. Good for you. <laughs> it's, it's God's thing, though. Okay? It's God's thing. Okay? Healing the sick, that's God's thing. Okay? And prospering, that's God's thing. Getting people out of trouble, that's God's thing. See, So if you're in about God's business, then whatever he's on about, we're into it. Huh? Good, the good news, the good news of the kingdom. I love it. See, so you notice here, uh, the mandate is global. Fill the whole earth. So we're called to occupy the land. And I love the word, Miles Monroe used the word colonize. I love that word, actually. I hadn't thought of it that way, but he, I got inspired when I read about it. The word colon, and a colony, I look up in the dictionary, is a group of people who live in their native country, who leave their native country to form, an, to, to live in a new land and form a settlement there. 
and they come out and not only form a settlement, but they build their culture and their kingdom and their values. So when we think of colonization, we always have these bad ideas. We think of the British coming to make New Zealand a colony, you know, and we think of various kinds. But actually, when you have a look at it, colonization was God's plan. He wanted us to come into the earth and then form a, see a colony as a group of people who came from one country, go to another country, and then they begin to develop it and subdue it and bring it under their government. That's a colony. That's colonization. So if you were launched, uh, with a group of you were launched, see, to go into a nation and to form uh, a settlement and to gather up people and bring it under the laws and values of New Zealand, you would be colonizing that place. See, you're called to do that here. You're called to do that in the school. Colonize the school. What with people who are born again, spirit-filled lovers of God who live a godly life and they've got faith in them and they're encouraged and they live a clean life and they don't drink, they don't get into this other stuff. You're called to do it. If it's not happening, don't blame the school. You're the ones. You're the colonists. Think about it. You're the ones with the mandate. You're the ones called to do it. So, see, the problem is, is the church, uh, the church tends to complain about how bad things are and forget its mandate. We're the ones called to change it. And if we don't, don't complain. It's there because of neglect. You, you know, if you've got a piece of land and the land's all covered in weeds, don't complain. You let it get like that. See, so, so I'm trying to get the thinking right. So once you get the thinking right, so a colony uh, group of people, so we're charged with colonizing the earth. Colonize the earth. Go and actually, one by one, colonize the earth. So the problem was Adam's disobedience. Now, interesting this. To colonize the earth, one of the things is everything has to come under the principles and ways of God's kingdom. That means we've got to actually learn how to live subjected to him. That's not a hard thing to do that. See, people look at it, it's hard. No, it isn't hard. It's actually an easy thing with wonderful benefits to honor God and to live a life that pleases him. What's hard is when you don't. It feels good, but then it's hard in the long term. You think about this. You build a marriage, a covenantal marriage. You both live clean lives, form your marriage, begin to build the marriage on the principles of God's kingdom. You begin to operate as a man, take leadership, responsibility, begin to love your wife, begin to serve in the family, provide an example in leadership and protection. As God says, this is how you do it. And then the wife, she begins to take her positioning alongside you as a partner in life. You begin to flow together, just like God's word says to do it. What happens is, over a period of time, you've got struggles initially, but over a period of time, you start to see the fruit of it. And then years later, people look at your life, and they see, look at the fruit of this marriage. Isn't it wonderful? They still love one another at this age. And then, then the others who live a different kind of life, they're, they're promiscuous and they did whatever they wanted and they, they didn't run their life God's ways. What happens is they find they got a lot of troubles. And they can't see how they got there because it all seemed right what they were doing. They had opinions, but we didn't have opinions. We said, God, how do you want it to happen? Okay? And so it's the same with children. You begin to work with your children. Well, you get a family and they work with their children according to the principles of God. It doesn't mean they won't have troubles because we live in a culture opposite to that. There will be troubles. But on the other hand, they should have a family that actually loves and respects them. And over the course of their life, in spite of the troubles, things work out. See, because God's principles work. But you've got to actually see the long haul to see it work. It's not in the short thing. It's, and see, we tend to want a miracle now rather than a lifestyle that produces fruit. And it's the lifestyle over years that produce the fruit. 
Uh, so, so we can see them very clearly, you know, God's intent in this area. Okay, and I want to just look at, uh, see, the problem with Adam's sin. Have a look in uh, Romans chapter 5, problems with Adam's sin. So the mandate is to go into the earth, become productive with our life in every area. So if you're an artist, become productive artist. If you're good in business, become productive in business. Make a lot of money. Uh, be fruitful. Extend the kingdom of God and extend his influence. Now let's have a look at Romans. Now the Bible tells us here, Romans... Uh, chapter 5 and uh, verse, let's pick it up here. Romans chapter 5 and uh, I'll pick up a verse, verse 12. It says, by one man, sin into the world. So when Adam disobeyed, something was actually, a spiritual power came into the earth. Now that spiritual power that comes into the earth comes in every time we disobey. When we break the law of God, we actually empower the demonic, we empower destructive things to happen. And it says, I want you to see verse 17, if by one man's offense death reigns, so death actually reigns in the world, much more those who receive the abundance and grace of gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Now notice here again, it's saying that when man sinned, another spirit entered the world, and that's why there's this chaos and destruction. But when we come to Christ and get become right with him, righteousness, and we have his grace, that's his empowerment, what happens then, we should be able to win in life. Reign in life means having dominion, means actually success in life. doesn't mean you succeed short-term, long-term, you actually see benefits and results. Your life is a joyful life. You start to see finances, health, a whole range of things start to begin to flow the way God intended them to. Okay? So, said, so God still wants you to reign in life. He wants every believer to get on top of things. Does that mean you're not going to have any problems? No way. Anyone who's been around a while, you've got heaps of problems come, sometimes just because you're a Christian. But what he's calling us to say is that we're going to have actually the ability to reign in life. And the key is righteousness, standing with God, and secondly, being able to draw on his ability and power to run our life. You need that as a husband. You need it as a father. You need it as a mother. You need it as a wife. You need it in business. You need it at school. We need the grace, the empowerment of God, supernatural, to live the life that he wants us to live. We can't live it without him. That's why you pray. It's not because you pray because you have to. You pray because you can't live the life without it. Why do we read the Word of God? Not because we have to, not because someone made you to. We read the Word of God because I need to know how to run my life. I need to actually draw from God inspiration and direction for life from it because that's how I've chosen to live my life. So a person who sets that every day of their life they will rise, spend time with God, spend time reading God's perspective for the day in the course of their life, if they will apply that, they'll start to see fruit, good fruit. Okay, then. so let's just continue on now about Jesus' ministry. Now, let's have a look at you. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus' ministry was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. So he came to restore the relationship with God. He came to restore us to God and restore the mandate. And so God wants us to have some change. And that's what Jesus said, repent. That means you need to change how you look at life. And you need to change how you live your life. Because all that God has intended for you to have is available now through that doorway. No idea? Okay then. Now, the problem we have is so many believers want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. I want that prophet to pray for me. I want him to do this for me. I want to have God touch me. We want all that. That's great to want that. I want all that. But what we want to do is we want to have the blessing without the change. Now you see, and so we, we get this idea, well, you know, Jesus loves me like I am. You know what that is? That's a statement, I'm unwilling to change. 
I've never heard a person say that to me, that actually wasn't resisting changing. See, the truth is, yes, Jesus loves you, but he actually requires you to change. If you want the benefits of the kingdom, repentance is actually the change in attitude and values and thinking to have it. If you don't make the changes, you can't have the benefits. And it doesn't seem always that logical because when you follow things that are logical, it seems if I give money away, then I'm going to not have enough. It seems if I get it all for myself and hoard it, I'll really do well. It seems that way. But in the kingdom, you have to take a step of faith. You have a change in the way you see, and you learn to become a giver as a way of life, trusting God to supply. And goodness me, what happens? All these things begin to happen in your life. But it didn't seem right. And the reason it doesn't seem right is because our minds have been so affected and we have these opinions. There's a lot of things that we don't think are right. Now, when Jesus came, interesting, uh, he announced, first of all, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that correct? All right. Then. Now, next thing he said in Luke 4.18, he said, now the spirit of God is on me. He's anointed me for a certain thing. Here's what he's anointed me to do. Preach the gospel to the poor. That's get people in relationship with God. But some other things as well. Get their broken hearts healed. That's why you need healing. Why? So you can form relationships instead of reducing dysfunction. Uh, he sent me to set the captives free. You need deliverance. Get free from generational curses and bondages so you can be free in the spirit. He sent me to open the eyes of the blind. We need vision for our life. He sent me to, to let the oppressed or to lift the, the oppressions off everyone. Why? Because you need burdens lifted off you so you can fulfill your course. And get this last one, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what's all that about? The acceptable year of the Lord was the year of Jubilee. In, in Leviticus 25, the year of Jubilee went like this. All, God said this, the land belongs to me. And you can steward the land, but every 50 years, if you've lost your bit of land or had to sell it up and gotten to hardship, gotten to debt, in the year of Jubilee, all debts are canceled and everyone goes back to what I originally intended them to have. So Jesus said, my mission here is to get you out of the bondages of life and get you back to what God had for you. That's what he said, the Spirit of God's on me. It's not just to get you physically healed, you can still live a miserable life. It's not just to get the demons off you, you can still live a miserable life. I want to position you so you can live the kind of life I called you to live and designed you to live, a supernatural life. You need to come back to your possession. See, what God intended for us. You know, the year of Jubilee was fantastic because every 50 years, they blow a trumpet. If you had your debts, are all canceled. Imagine what we do in there. I blew a trumpet and then all your credit card debt and all the other debts have all gone. Man, you'd be happy. They had a happy time. See, this is good news. The gospel is good news. See, the gospel is good news. It's good news because death is cancelled. Sin is cancelled. It's cancelled. It's not a problem anymore. Lots of things change in the year of Jubilee. And that's why Jesus said, it's good news I've come to tell you. They all understood what he was talking about. I've come to restore. And they kept thinking it was a physical kingdom, you see. But they actually had something else in mind. He had a spiritual kingdom. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. But he said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Okay, now have a look at the commission that he gave the church. In Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. All authority. All, author all authority. Who's got all authority? All authority, that's the legal right to speak and act. It's given to me heaven. Go there and what? Make disciples of all nations, teaching them what? Teaching them? Teaching them? I'll just come to church and receive Jesus, your Savior, you'll be just fine. Hey, is that what he said? Now make disciples, teaching them to, to obey. To obey. 
Why? Because it's only as I yield and flow with the one who loves me that I'm going to actually enjoy the benefits of what he's called me to have. I can't advance his kingdom if I'm not under it. If I'm a rebel, I can't actually advance his kingdom. I'm just like everyone else. The problem is people look at Christians. They come to church and they've got a bit of religion around them. They look all uptight and wound up and their lives are a mess. And they look at them and say, man, whatever you've got, I don't like it. I don't want any of that. I say the same thing. I don't like it at all. Jesus never came to give us that. Came to bring our lives back into alignment to how to succeed in life. It's just we've got opinions. See, now notice it said it's global, all nations. The whole world. Go the whole world. The whole world. The whole world. The whole world. That's why every believer's got a mission to the whole world. So at least you've got a mission to your little bit of the world that everyone could get up and go somewhere to someone with something God has given you. That's his intent. That you and I would actually teach people to obey. Well, you can't teach someone to obey something you haven't done yourself. Now, let's just talk a little bit about culture. Culture. What culture is, it's, a, it's culture is actually... Uh, and, and the world has a culture of its own. The kingdom of heaven has a culture of its own. And then you have cultures. And there's the Maori culture. There's the youth culture. There's the drug culture. Culture is the set of attitudes and beliefs and values that actually influence and shape a group so they're like they are. Right? So they believe and value certain things and they do certain things. So that's culture. So one of the things is the world has a culture of its own. And the culture shapes how you live your life. So if you come around, you'll see Kiwis have got a Kiwi culture. So if you come from South Africa, you got any South Africans here? We have some. How did you find it when you came into New Zealand? Was it just like South Africa? No. Did you get a culture shock? You got a bit of a culture shock. If you've been, how many have you been to India? Man, oh man. Did you get a culture shock when you went there? Whew. I was stunned for about three days. <laughs> then when I came back, I was stunned when I came back here. I realized that there's a culture. And the culture is the way people live their life, and it's the values and the beliefs and, and the, the things people consider a norm. Well, the kingdom of heaven has a culture. See, so the culture, we, we kind of think the culture is normal. So we as Kiwis act in a way which is very Kiwi-like. And, and some of the things are good. Some of the things are not so good. Okay? And so the Bible tells us, though, about the culture of the world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Now, he says, he says, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins, who walked, now get this, according to the culture of the world, operated on by a spirit which works in the children who disobey God. Let's just summarize it. There is a culture in the world, and there's a spirit that empowers it, and it's a spirit of, the, of, of darkness, and it empowers it because people disobey God. So we were called out of that to have a culture where we obey God, and there's another spirit operating. If you want the Holy Ghost operating in your life and through you, you've got to embrace the culture of heaven, the culture of the Bible, the culture of God. Some things we can live in and accept, they're just fine the way they are, but other things you've got to build a culture. There's a family culture. See, family culture can be incredibly dysfunctional, and everyone is impacted by it, and they tend to become dysfunctional when they produce their children. You can have a culture in a church. can be really healthy, can be very unhealthy. You have a culture in a school, can be really vibrant and a great place to learn, can be actually a dangerous place. It's unsafe to be there. You have a culture in a community. Even Havelock's got its own culture. And then Flexme's got its culture. And Hastings is still a little bit different. Have you noticed that? 
And there's kind of like the group of people and their lifestyle and their values and everything. And if you live there, you'll become like them. I'm certain if you went out and lived in Havelock, you'll join the jogging crowd. And you'll have your little bottle and your little Walkman. And you'll be out there doing your little run. I've seen them all out there. Heaps of them. Lattes down there in the village. Wouldn't even think of buying anything in Hastings. It's just like there's a culture. And it's not all bad, but there's sort of things that characterize it. So, So the world we're in has got a culture of its own. The Maoris have a culture, and of course, you know, so people view it in different ways. If they're ignorant of it, they view it with suspicion. Or if they're PC, they embrace it all. See? But actually, the culture is neither good nor bad. The culture is just a culture, but it's got within it things which may be demonically empowered, just like our culture has. And so God calls us then to take on the culture of heaven. Now, the way culture expresses itself in many ways, but this is what empowers it, people's opinions. You change the opinions, you change the culture. Eh? You change the opinions. The way people think, you change the culture. Now, our, how many know our culture's in change? Anyone who's been around a while knows it's in change. Why is it in change? Because people in certain places have altered the opinions that people have. And once the opinions are altered... Parents today, here, look at this. Parents today feel disempowered in working with their kids because of the opinions of certain people in education who impose them on the rest of the culture. Now, as kingdom people, we've got to discover God's opinions and begin to learn how to live them. Now, does that mean you go and impose them on everyone? Not at all. It makes you a religious nutter. People need to see that what you have works. So they watch you. And if you're a believer somewhere in the community, you know what? There's going to be a heap of people watching you. You know what they're watching? They're watching everything. They're primarily watching to see if you're authentic. Are you an ambassador of another kingdom with a better life that I need to come alongside and find how you made it work and how you make it succeed? Or are you just spouting verses at me and putting me down and showing a holier-than-thou attitude? Unfortunately, that's what religion does. Religion isolates, the kingdom goes out, and what, call, it, what, what the computer language, they call interfaces. It connects with the culture and actually shows that the way of the kingdom of God is superior in every way. People need to get near enough to you to see that your life is authentic and what you got works, and it works better than it works for them, and to feel totally challenged by your lifestyle. That's what's called being salt and light. Salt, having an impact to restrain evil, and light, showing it up. See, now, I know people in this church, and they have tremendous impact in the community where they are because their life is just so positively different. And that's what we're called to do. Not called to go around and conquer people, bring them under dominion, bring them and force them into your way of thinking, confront them in an ungodly way. We're called to show to them that what we have from the kingdom of God actually works, and it works better. Now, let me give you an example of it, so then I'll finish up. About three or four years ago, we had a dentist here who was a Muslim. And uh, initially, when my dentist changed as a Muslim, I had to confront my personal attitude. I actually wanted to change dentists. I'll be honest about it, I did. I thought about it seriously. Then I decided, no, I won't. 
this is an ideal opportunity. I will go and actually stay in this place, and I'll stay with the new man, and I'm going to reach out to him and his wife. So Joe and I determined we're going to reach out to him and his wife. They're from South Africa. He was uh, dark. He was from Iranian descent and a Muslim. She was from a Christian family, and she was actually uh, had uh, given up the faith to marry him. And so we had a chance to influence him. Now, I won't go into how we did it all, but let me just say this. At the end of the year, after all the interactions, after all the talk, after everything else, after they'd, we'd done what we could do, we were able to get both of them to the church. And they came to a Christmas service here on a Christmas Eve, and then they came to our home. We took them into our home. And at the end of that evening, we asked, how are you doing? And he said, I am stunned. I have never had anything in my life that I could reference this to. I'm overwhelmed. I said, what has overwhelmed you? He said, well, first of all, he was just totally impressed with what he saw in the church. It was not at all what he ever thought a church would be like. But he said, the thing that really has left me stunned, I don't know what to say. And he said, I'm so stunned, I don't even know how to respond, is your family. He said, I have never been in an environment where people love one another, had fun with one another, and everyone was accepted and welcome." And there was no alcohol and there was no fighting. I have never, ever experienced this in my whole life. He says, I just don't know what to say. Now, you see, that's exactly what the Queen of Sheba did when she came to Solomon. She was stunned. The kingdom of heaven is stunning. It's stunning. It's just we don't have enough of it. But the more you get, the more stunning it is. She, when the Queen of Sheba went in, she was... Oh. She said, I thought I was going to see something. She, oh. and she said, all breath was taken out. She's she, oh. The wow factor. Oh. I love the wow factor. Oh. Church should have the wow factor back. I love it when people come in to Superstar. They come in here. They go, oh. A church. Wow. Radio announcer. I couldn't understand why they're having a church. I've been worried about that all week. Come on. Wow. The kingdom of heaven is stunning. Our king is stunning. His ways are stunning. They're different, but they're stunning. If we could just get enough of them in our life and be bold about who we are and live it out, I tell you what, you will impact people. You may not use a verse. Your whole life is a message. Your life confronts the lifestyle of the ungodly. Let me finish with one other example. I love this. I just love it when ungodly people or unsafe people are stunned and can't speak. And, uh, you know, as, as young, I talk to young people especially about this. We really believe in value. Kingdom values that you keep yourself for marriage. Don't have sex with people before you're married. You mess yourself up. You keep yourself. So we've had uh, three weddings where our children have come up and other weddings where people have, in this church have kept themselves for marriage. And their friends have berated them and laughed at them and said, how come you're going to live together, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff, and made fun of them and mocked at them and, and secretly then grudgingly began to respect them. And then they came here into one of the meetings here. Stunned. I can remember a certain TV 
uh, uh, personality was well known in New Zealand. She's now in England. And she was very, very anti-things of Christ. And she came here to do a national uh, uh, TV thing on Robert and Debbie when they got married. And she came in and she was aggro to me right from the very start. Until she went through the service. And she was stunned. Afterwards, she came up and she was touching me and hugging me. And she was, there were tears in her eyes. And the rock had melted. Stunned. I have seen with some of our kids when they've got married, the presence of God come. I've seen kids who've come in and, and you see, I can see it in the eyes of the girls who slept around. They are dismayed and stunned. Stunned because they never thought it could be ever like that. Seems like it's a fairy book. How could it be like that? At one person, it was the third one they came to. They said, I thought the first one was just lucky. The second one, I was starting to worry. Third one, he said, I've given up. There's something in this. Young people keep themselves and they come down that altar. Jesus is honored and their lifestyle is honored. And they love their parents and they honor their parents. It is stunning. It is what the world needs. It lost God and it lost the kingdom. It needs that back again. It needs someone to stand up and live it out and live it in front of them and show them it's possible to have a stunning life. That's you. Come on. That's the person next to you called to have a stunning life, a stunning marriage, stunning family.